This week, we trade our comfy clothes for trench coats and magnifying glasses as we get lost in a debut mystery novel, Arsenic and Adobo by Mia P. Manansala. This delicious, deadly novel is the first in the culinary Tita Rosie's Kitchen Mystery Series. Mia speaks to us about how she decided to place food and murder as the major plot points of her novel. She also discusses writing mysteries to give her mom something she would love to read, reflecting on her Filipino culture and heritage, and how this novel serves as a love letter to her late father. I'm Demi. And I'm Veronica. Join us in the Vulgar Geniuses Podcast. Support for this podcast comes from Park Ave CDs, purveyors of new and used vinyl and CDs, clever gifts, books, and more. This year, Park Ave CDs celebrates 37 years. They'll also be celebrating Record Store Day 2021 on June 12th and July 17th. Visit in-store or online at parkavcds.com for details. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzy'sbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. Hello, welcome back to the Vulgar Geniuses Podcast. My name is Denny. And I'm Veronica. And today we are joined by the wonderful writer of our soon-to-be June Book of the Month. Um, we are joined with Miss Mia P. Menasala. Thank you so much for being with us today. And um, before we bring her in, um, we're going to let the people know who she is, if you who all have no idea what's going on in the literary world. Or if you're living under a rock and not paying attention. Mia is a writer and a certified book book coach from Chicago who loves books, baking, and badass women. She uses humor and murder to explore aspects of the Filipino diaspora, queerness, and her millennial love for pop culture. Her debut novel, Arsenic and Adobo, comes out May 4th, which is out now with Berkeley Penguin Random House. We welcome to the show, Mia! Hi, <laughs> hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. So I'm going to give Denny the honor to start this conversation up. Um, so go ahead. Take it away. Um, I am Filipino. Mia is Filipino. So this is very, very exciting for me. There are not a lot of writers in the universe that um, have this stage um, to tell our stories and our love of food. So Mia, why don't you tell us what your book is about? Yeah, sure. So Arsenic and Adobo is a culinary cozy mystery. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that particular uh, subgenre, uh, basically, I, I like to call it Hallmark with Dead Bodies, um, <laughs> because it's it, it just means that there is no graphic sex, violence, or shall we say bad language um, on the page. So I, I literally wrote a book that my mom could read because cozies are her favorite genre. Um, so yeah, so it follows... 
Uh, the protagonist, Lila Macapagal, who's a young Filipino-American woman uh, born and raised in a small Midwestern town, and she feels like she has to escape. So she moves to Chicago to try and make big things happen for herself. Um, she's like tragically straight, so she makes really poor, you know, choices in her love life. Uh, after things kind of fall apart, she moves back home to her town of Shady Palms to kind of lick her wounds and also uh, save her aunt's failing restaurant. Um, while she's there, she reconnects with her high school sweetheart, um, but it's not a second chance at love story. He is the town's vindictive food critic who mid-meal, mid-review, passes out and dies, and she becomes the main suspect in his murder. See, See if you're not interested, we are you, <laughs> and we don't need you in this podcast, so you can go. Um, but yeah, like, because I was like, he dies while eating. You gotta read it. Yeah. You gotta read it. Yeah, we were we were hooked in. Time his face hits the <laughs> table. I'm like, oh, this is different. This one is different. <laughs> so it's so refreshing to see um, a novel that is not about you know always just about immigration or trauma. Not that it's wrong, mm-hmm. but like you said, it's like cozy and it's like almost kind of like a palate cleanser to mm-hmm. to a lot of books. Um, this novel shows that we are more than, you know, the stories that I guess white people would like want to put us or choose to place us in their own stories. What mm-hmm. was it for you to make this decision um, to write this novel the way that you did? Well, I mean, I feel like um, with a lot of, you know, with people of color in general, like the big, what people want when I say people publishing, like you said, white people, they want the struggle books. Mm. They want us to mine our trauma and our pain. And particularly for Asian Americans, it's usually like the immigration story, right? Like the difficulty of fitting in and being foreign and things like that. And, you know, those books are very important, right? They Mm. speak to real issues. They are beautifully written with poetic prose that I could could just never touch. Um, But at the same time, you know, that's not all we are, yep. right? Like, so I want, you know, I'm a big genre reader, right? Like, you know, I love lit fic, but I personally prefer genre, you know, mysteries, romance, sci-fi fantasies. That's usually where I live when it comes to the bookstore. I want stores where we can fall in love, where we get to go on adventures and like fight dragons and, you know, solve mysteries. Why not? Why um, not? And so like in my stories, like she's Filipino American and that shapes her character. It shapes her experience. It shapes her worldview and it particularly shapes how the world views her, but it's not about that, right? It's almost incidental. She just happens to be a Filipino person who gets caught up in a murder mystery. Um, and that's, that's what I'm trying to do. You know, we, I want us to be everywhere. We like, we deserve that. That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> no, normalize this face. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> so when writing um, your book, who in mind were you writing this book for? And like, who did you see as your as your audience? Um, I mean, like, like I said, you know, first and foremost, I wrote this book for like for me and for my mom. Um, so cozy mysteries are one of my favorite genres. Um, you know, they're light, they're fun, they're ridiculous. You know, like, yeah, sure. This cookie baker is totally going to solve murders. Why not? You know? Um, but they haven't been the most inclusive or diverse books. Um, you know, like lately it's been changing. There have been some really great strides, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's still not enough. And I have yet to really see books that reflect me and my experiences, particularly, you know, 
in that in that area. So I just wrote what I thought would be fun. And I, you know, my mom is, is of the age where she doesn't really expect representation, right? She gets super excited anytime she hears about like a Filipino American like making it, you know, she sees them on TV and she's like, ah, you know, that kind of thing. She found out there was a Filipino artist uh, who did like a Wonder Woman issue a while ago. And she like made me go to like all the stores to find it for her, even though like, she just she just wanted to have it. She wanted to support them, but she she doesn't expect to get that kind of representation. For her, it's just kind of a happy surprise. But like I want to think, you know, my generation and younger, we we don't just expect it; we demand it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to be able to to provide that kind of uh, representation, and hopefully that you know it'll open up more and people can see. Oh, I don't have to write the identity crisis. I don't have mm-hmm. to write the trauma. I can write fun books that still kind of touch on these issues that are important to me. And being bold yeah. and brave. Oh, know? yeah. Because <laughs> it's hard. It's it's already hard being different, but it's harder mm-hmm. to make people, like, look at you and be like, mm-hmm. we're actually not. Like, hello, we're just mm-hmm. regular human beings. So this book centers on familiar relationships. You know, mm-hmm. um, Lila and the woman in her life... Um, it very it made me very nostalgic <laughs> because like all the all, kind of all of the women there were kind of like speaking into my existence, like <laughs> all her ninangs. It's like, oh, you've gained this so much weight, and yet they would yep. beat the living shit out of you, <laughs> mm-hmm. or or like, oh, you know, you should go into this careers, but when you're unhappy, they're like, why are you unhappy? Like mm-hmm. it was just like, I'm like, why is th- like, Mia, why are you writing about my life? <laughs> <laughs> and, like, the people that you date was never enough. But when you're not dating, you're like, oh, you should go out more. Um, how did all these experiences shape, like, the novel and possibly all that, your you know, your future work would look mm-hmm. like? I mean, like, so all of the, the people in there are kind of like bits and pieces of real people that I know that like I took the, the extreme versions of like took part of their personality to kind of like build something around them, right? So like no like none of the characters are one particular person necessarily, but more like an amalgamation, right? So that, oh, you know, like I know you get bigger every time I see you. That has been said to me at a family party, you know, like yes, so like things like that. So a lot of the stuff that the aunties say that are not murder related, obviously, you know, like are things that were said to me or, you know, like friends that were when we're complaining and we're talking about things we're like can you believe she's I'm like oh yeah I'm gonna store this away and use this for later <laughs> um I mean you know I'm a writer they know this like everything is up for grabs <laughs> um do they ask you like are you gonna use this in, in your next book <laughs> like, who, who, who am I in that book <laughs> Yeah. Well, because I think that's like a lot of, you know, that's, that happens to a lot of writers. They're just like, who am I in your book? It's like, like I, you're not in my book. Don't worry. But like, but that's me, right? And it's like, sure. It's like, <laughs> it makes you feel better, you know? And it's never, you know, it's, it's never like the unflattering picture that they think, you know, that they always think it's like the best character, the most interesting one. And I'm like, oh, yes, that flattering one right there. Yes, that's totally you, Tita. That, that's what that is. Okay. <laughs> Well, speaking of characters, we just want to know, like, what was the hardest character for you to write and which character was the most fun? I mean, honestly, I'm going to say for, for, for both of me, Adina, because with my, with, so when I first had early drafts of this, she kind of started taking over, right? Because she had, like, the, so the best friend character has a very strong personality 
and I had a whole different backstory and an entire subplot with her. And then, but like, as I was going through it, I'm like, she's really taking over, you know, like she's a fun character, but this is supposed to be Lila's story and it's her journey and figuring out how to like what parts to keep so that she still felt like a fully realized, you know, 3d person character or whatever, without having this like ridiculous, like 400 page long, wait, whose story is this kind of a thing? Um, like that, like knowing where to pull back was kind of tough. Um, if for sure. Do you think that you would maybe give her her own story? one day making her the the main character <laughs> someone has asked me that and i'm just like oh if only i knew how to write short stories you know like that like that would be like a fun like spin-off or like a nice like free offering or something maybe one day um like when i up my writing game because like right now you know very early in my career <laughs> i'm hoping someday i'll be able to do that um but yeah so like being able to write her and then also making sure her voice is different enough from that which is also like I think another issue that you know like us beginning writers have where I feel like one of my strengths is what people say like is my voice but at the same time does everyone sound exactly the same because my voice is too strong and is over you know so like trying to balance that is something I'm trying to be careful about so which is why I had her be so forceful as opposed to Lila because I wanted them to at least be somewhat different Mm -hmm. um those characters are really, I like the the combination of the two. Um, so I can't wait for the second book to, yeah, to I will, see. Yeah, I will, I, will, I will read her book. I'll be like, so what are you about? What are you about, Mr. Dina? Yeah. Like, let's hear it. She's very ride or die. So, like, I really yes, love that she, about her. She is. And I'm, and I'm kind of like, in, you know, at some parts, you kind of be like, you know, you. I really saw her like, oh, this is like a real person. Because I've had, like, you know, it's either I was one I was like that or somebody was like that to me. So mm-hmm. I can very see her like as a very like real character. And I'm mm. like, okay, if you get a story, I will read you. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, just awesome. file that away. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to read- say no. I'm going to say maybe. Early, early readers <laughs> willing, willing to give feedback. So uh, another thing that we appreciated um, is you going the murder mystery route. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like we said, it's it's usually a, je- a genre sat- saturated by, by people not that doesn't look like us. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, even though, you know, it's supposed to be like cozy, like, um, like you know, lighthearted, fun, fun stories. It's still kind of like very it, it was still very heartwarming for me to read mm-hmm. stuff that I'm like, oh, I actually know what, you know, I don't have to like think about like, oh, what is she trying to say? I'm just like, it just clicks. <laughs> Like all the food, all like the little, <laughs> all the little like you know, like the little things that the that the characters would say. You don't have to explain it to me. I'll just understand it completely and why people moved a certain way. So that was very mm-hmm. interesting to me. Um, there's not definitely a lot of Filipino American writers that would pursue this, besides like your mom being like your inspiration to go mm-hmm. through this, um, to go through this um, path. What else um, influenced your your decision? to go through this to this to this genre i mean it's like the reason i chose mystery Mm. it it was actually kind of a fluke so i always knew that i wanted to write when i was young but i don't think i ever had the patience or or like the drive to really finish anything 
um, when I was younger. And I kind of always thought I would do like kid litter fantasy because like that's kind of like where my heart was growing up. Um, but so I, I, I know there's like the experience. So in 2015, so I had spent after graduating college, I had spent about three and a half years teaching English in South Korea. Um, and so in 2014, I came home. And then so for the next year, I was living at home, hanging out with the same people, doing the same things, working the same job. And like, I had reached the, and you know, I was going to turn 30 soon, which like, in like retrospect, is like, man, that's not old. Like 30 is awesome. But you know, at the time I was like, you're 29 and you're not doing nothing. What's going on? So I was just like, Hey, remember you used to love writing? Whatever happened to that? So I literally just Googled Chicago writing class or something like that. Um, cause I had never taken a creative writing class cause those cost money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just happened to find like a one day writing workshop that was about mystery writing. And I was like, well, you know, I love reading mysteries. Um, this is an affordable class. Why don't I just check it out? And I went there and the teacher, Lori Rader day, um, uh, kind of looked at my work like she looked at the story I had come up with there and she was like oh this is really like is this your first time I was like yeah she's like I think you're a mystery writer mm-hmm. and um at the time she was the president of the mystery writers of America Midwest uh chapter which was like which literally one mile from my house was their meeting spot and she was like hey the meetings are free um they're open to the public you know you're an up-and-comer I really think you should come check it out you know, start to network, you know, start to, to, you know, we have writing groups and stuff like that. So you can have like writing partners. And she really, really welcomed me into the community. And like, from that point on, I was like, well, I guess I'm a mystery writer. That's so cool. Like, um, do you keep in contact with all the people that you went through the class with? Like, you know, do they see you out there now? You have your whole novel out in the world? Not from that particular class, because um, I'm kind of an introvert. So um, so she, so the, the teacher, Lori, she did like a really good job of, you know, she had our emails from the class. So she was just like, oh, hey, um, don't forget, I told you about this. Our next meeting is this date. Here you go. You know, so she kept in contact with me and she was really good about like inviting me in um, because I, you know, the first meeting I went to, I was the youngest person by like, a decade and like there was only maybe one other person of color in the room and like everyone knew each other right like I said I'm an introvert so like you know everyone knowing each other everyone's like in these little groups and I'm just kind of like should I be here do I belong why what am I doing you know and she was like oh you came hey and she you know led me in she introduced me to people so like the kindness of people like her making me feel like I'm welcome making me feel like I belong. Like it made a huge difference to me. That's awesome to be able to establish relationships like that. That's really Mm -hmm. a cool story. Cause like, you know, it almost felt like it was fate. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, being like really cheesy and corny, like my words, but cause it's kind of like, you know, what if you didn't, you didn't show up of like, what if your introverted self was just like, you know what? I don't know. I think I'm going to pass. Yeah. You know, we... yeah, no, so, like, that's why I like to look, because it's it's so weird to think of all the steps I could have missed that wouldn't have led me there, because, like, if the, the, the meetings were in the city, you know, like, I was born and raised in Chicago, but I currently live in the Burbs, I don't drive, you know, like, if they were in the city, and I'm just like, oh, do I want to take, like, an hour-long train ride? Nah. Oh, what? It's a mile away, I could literally walk there? 
all right, I mean, I guess I got to go, right? You know, or like if I had walked into that first meeting and got scared and then just walked right back out, which I've definitely done before in my life, you know, but like the fact that I had stayed there and that I made connections, you know, there's just like so many little things, you know, I tell people publishing is like, it's diligence and it's luck. It really is. You know, like there are so many talented people out there who just, you know, haven't made, it, it just hasn't been their time. They haven't found the right advocate, and so, you know, keep on people like it's <laughs> Arsenic and a Double is not the first book I wrote, you know, mm-hmm. I'm on my second agent. So it's it, it, it takes time. How, how long ago was the first book that you were that you had completed before this one? So I finished my first book. Um, it was called Death Comes to Comic-Con. It was a queer Filipino-American chick solving a murder mystery at a comic book convention. Um, See, I would still read that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like I started, so that was, like I started 2015. I finished like mid-2017. Um, I made it into a mentorship program called Pitch Wars. So like, you know, shout out to my awesome mentor, Kelly Garrett. She also, her and Lori, I credit both of them all the time for keeping me in the game because there are just so many times I wanted to quit. Um, you know, that first book got me my first agent, you know, and then that my agent tried to sell it for a year and a half for a year and a half. I was stacking up rejections um, with editors telling me how much they loved my writing and my voice, but they didn't think I was marketable. They said they couldn't sell what I was writing. Um, and and so, you, you know, <laughs> here, yeah, here you are. Here you are. <laughs> Doing the most, <laughs> talking to all the people, being in everybody's like book chat, book group, book of the month, all of it. You know, it's so. still like unreal. Like I've actually, like I've been to a Barnes and Noble. Like I saw my book, I've touched it, but at the same time, I'm like, who did that? that be me, right? Like that doesn't. Nah, it's just, it's so it's so unreal. It's so unreal. So about the book, well, you know, I was just curious. I wanted to know, like, what is your relationship with food and why was it important for you to include it within this novel? I mean, like, I, like food is, like, my favorite thing. Sorry to my husband and my dogs. But, like, I love food. But, like, I also, for me, it it, it represents so many things, right? So, uh, like, earlier you mentioned, like, addictive experience. So for me, like, I think food is a love language. Uh, it definitely was for my dad. So, like, the Tita Rosie character, the fact that um, as kind as she is, she's not, like, an outwardly affectionate person, right? Like, you know, hugging and, like, like physical touch is, like, uh, uncomfortable for her. She doesn't say I love you out loud, but she, but she does what she can to show you, mm-hmm. you know, through her service and through her food. Uh, and, like, my dad was the same way, you know? Like, he, he was, like, an older, stoic Filipino man. He wasn't going to say, I love you and give me, like, hugs and encouragement. He, You know, he would just make big feasts on the weekend because he was the cook in the family. And, and, like, you know, and, like, those that huge spread after working hard all week, that was how he showed love to the family. That's what it means to me, you know? And, like, in all I think for, like, a lot of diaspora kids, like, food is like that one connection you have to the culture, you know, like I was born and raised in Chicago. I don't speak Tagalog. I can understand it. Um, I've only been to the Philippines a handful of times, but like my family and like the food that they introduced me to, like, that's, that's my connection. Like your what you said about your dad is, it's like my grandma. She was the, she was the biggest cook out of all her sisters. And funny enough, her name is that Tita Rosi. Yeah, that's what <laughs> that's what how they call her and that's why my name my 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 second name is Rose it's from her 
Mm. But I didn't I didn't acquire the skill. <laughs> um, <laughs> my my youngest sister did. But um so I was like, you know, that's why I was like, why are you writing about my life, Mia? Like, who are you? How do you know me? But it was really interesting because I was like, oh, it re- reminded me of her a lot. Like, you know, she, she's not the one to be like, oh, how are you? Like, give you hugs Hi. and like, would like, you know, kiss and touch and hug. But she can, she can, she would make you like 10, 10 things, mm-hmm. anything you want when you say it. <laughs> And that's that's how she shows her love. What what was the research like for for this book? Oh, like as a mystery writer, like <laughs> like I'm on an FBI watch list. Like I know I am. Like they're on like, you. The amount of like research I had to do on various poisons to try to figure out because you know it was just like okay, like in my head I was like okay, what's like it's a cozy, so it can't be graphic, right? You know. Um, uh, it's a restaurant. He's a food critic. What's the natural way to go? You know, like if, if he just showed up like stabbed outside her restaurant, you're like, oh, well, what's that? You know, what's the connection? So it had to, I knew at least for this first book, it had to be poison for that connection. But I'm just like, I don't know anything about poison. So like, mm, that's search history, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then, well, because I was also like trying out other things. Cause again, like as a mystery writer, I was just like, how long does it take to die from a stab wound in the stomach? Uh, what's the best way to kill a diabetic? What you know, like just really, like very oddly specific things I was trying to figure out to try to work into my story, and I'm just like, oh, this is not going to be good. Like I need like an incognito window or something. But like it's private, you know. But it's like hopefully they see that I'm clearly a writer, and it's like nothing, nothing super shady. I swear. <laughs> But it's really important to do research like that because you'll always have that one person. Excuse me, um, I'm patient. <laughs> you have it where? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I can understand where mm-hmm. that attention to detail when you're talking mm-hmm. about a mystery and how someone is dying is very important, yeah. especially those hip laws. Yeah, because I was, I was like, even when I was reading your acknowledgments, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, like. <laughs> I, I when I when I read like the novel, I pretend that I'm not a nurse, so I don't know anything. But then I'm like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that that is kind of important. <laughs> like I can't yeah. tell anybody's business. I mean, I can, but I cannot. If you know, <laughs> right, what I right. Mean. So you know, but I'm just like, okay, I see you, Mia. I kind of do that <laughs> sometimes too, but you know, nobody needs to know. Is it yeah. true that you can't divulge information after the person is dead? I mean, at least according to what I found, it has to be like 50, like they have to like be like, just like gone, gone, you know, like, because, oh, like speaking of research, it's so, so, like I researched the most like tiny, minute, ridiculous things that don't even make it into the manuscript. And yet, like, like I said in the acknowledgements, like there was a huge thing I didn't bother because I was doing that thing where like I didn't want to get stuck like in a research rabbit hole. I wanted to kind of like keep writing and then I can always come back and do it later. But at the time, the thing I didn't research was, like, a huge plot point. And, you know, I got really lucky that two of my early beta, because I only had written half the story, because this was, you know, I you know, I, I had no deadlines. I was like, well, let me see if this goes somewhere. So, like, I wrote half of it, sent it to those beta readers. One was a former lawyer. One is a path, uh, pathologist. So, and they both are, are mystery writers. So, I was like, okay, then, here we go. And both of them emailed me back, like, just, like, screaming at me through the screen, like, this is illegal, <laughs> this woman would lose her job, you can't have her find the information that way, and I was just like, oh, dang, 
this is what drives the entire second act. I guess I have to rewrite the entire part because I didn't do like five seconds of research. And like, and my brother is a nurse and I'm just like, dang, why didn't I ask him? I could have saved me so much. So, but like, thank you all for saving me from myself. Like shout out to beta readers, right? <laughs> oh, we, li- we live and we learn, but yet that's why we have a more interesting story. Mm-hmm. Um, so we found ourselves you know, stuck in our houses during quarantine a lot this past year. Um, and for us, we found ourselves, like, binging uh, the the great British Bake Off show. Ah, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, and so, so we took it upon ourselves, like, to, to start making <laughs> banana bread. Like, what, you know, like... We just want to know, like, did you do anything special in the kitchen during during this time? Are you are you still doing anything special during this time? Yes. Yeah, so, so before, so like pre pandemic, like I was um, an English language instructor. I worked at like an international school in downtown, and so all like my baking experiments I would bring to work with me to share with like my students and like my other coworkers. And it was great. I got to do all the baking and (laughs) recipe testing. And like, I didn't have like three dozen cookies or like a whole ass cake, just like, you know, like (laughs) sitting in my house. Uh, So I was able to get rid of it that way and get people's like opinions. But you know, then the Panda Express happened and I, and you know, I I got laid off because my entire, the entire Chicago branch got shut down. We all lost our jobs. And so like, I was at home and I was just like, cool, I guess I can experiment more. And I'm just like, like, who am I going to give this to? Like, what, like, I can't just like, ah, it's just like me and my husband. Are we just going to sit here with like stacks of like sourdough and, you know, dozens and so it was it was I had all this time finally but like no way to like get rid of the output um so there would be times where like well I had to test the recipes because I'm not gonna just like put stuff on a page and be like you know go with God good luck you know (laughs) so I had to actually test these things um and figure out like what I wanted to put in the books like I came up with like cookies and like donuts and this this and that so like I was experimenting but I haven't been as productive as I had in the past just because I haven't been able to, to share these, like, I'm not going to throw them out. Like, you know, when I said like, we don't waste food in this house, I was like, that, you know, that's very much a thing for a minute. But um, now that it's opening up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We'll DM our address. um, Anytime (laughs) you have any extra stuff, um, particularly those Ubi crinkle cookies. Yeah. Um, feel free. We we don't say no. Um, you know. We don't turn down food. Nope. It's, <laughs> it's a sin to throw away food. It's a sin not to eat food. So mm-hmm. haters are gonna hate, and we, <laughs> you keep cooking, we'll keep eating. Cause I was like, did she just give us? Did she just give away like the secret recipes of like generations of generations of Filipino families <laughs> in her book? And I'm like. I think she just did, and now they will know how, how awesome and how amazing our food is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, unfortunately, like, my dad didn't leave recipes behind. He was that old-school cook, you know, where, like, if I'm like, oh, how much soy sauce goes in this? He's like, oh, this much. You know, he just, like, pour. And I'm like, I don't I don't know what that means. Like, how much? Like, he's like, enough. You know? Like, taste and figure it out. And I'm like, I can't, that's not a recipe. I can't recreate, like, I can't recreate that. No. Um, so for the more like traditional recipes, like, like the throws of chicken adobo, like I had to like, I, I, I looked at various recipes online 
and then like tweaked it to the way that I remember his adobo tasting. Mm. Um, yeah, I feel like anyone like anyone who has like a really great family cook. Like in my mind, Filipino food tastes the way my dad cooked it. Mm. You know, like like I feel like no restaurant compares because like oh it's good, but it wasn't his. You know what I mean? Mm. So when I was trying to come up with these recipes, like I knew it wouldn't be his food necessarily, but I tried to make it. Um, so that one, I can measure it to, <laughs> so I can write it down. Um, and as close to, to, to my memory as, as the way that he did it. Um, yeah, my, my grandmother never, never measured, never did anything, <laughs> just like grab stuff. And then mm-hmm. my grandpa would be there. Um, you know, I would, I would see them both like cooking. So in my head, I thought they both knew what's going on. <laughs> when my grandmother had... She hasn't passed away then yet, but she had Alzheimer's. So mm. I would ask my grandpa, I'm like, Lolo, can we make this? And he, he like, told me, like, I don't know how to make it. I was just there to, like, literally mix whatever <laughs> she is making. <laughs> I was the mixer, the chopper, the cleaner. She makes all the stuff. And I just looked at him like, you never thought to write it down or ask questions? <laughs> like, why? She wouldn't tell you, and why ask questions in her kitchen? Like, you would be kicked out. <laughs> you just do what you need to do. Yeah, that was like my dad, because like our kitchen was small, so like even if I was there wanting to learn, he's just like, ah, there's like no space here, because he was a bigger man, and I'm not a small girl either, so you know, like we're like just taking up space. He's like, ah, oh, here, like, so like me and my brothers were like prep. So if we were making lumpia, you know, like, like the spring rolls, he's like, all right, I made the filling, here's a wrapper, you guys, you sit in front of the TV and roll like a hundred of these. I'm like, all right, you know, like that was our job yep. but like what went into the mix i'm like i'm like how much of this he's like eh. how much of that? I'm like how do you even know how it tastes it gets raw meat and he's like i know yep. i'm just like damn it and he was right every time <laughs> and it tastes so good every time and it tastes yeah. even better the next time <laughs> so other than being this amazing amazing writer that you are do you have this book coach Thing that you do explain to mm-hmm. us or to the people listening what do you do with your book book coaching yeah so i like to say book coaching is basically like um like i'm a consultant a developmental editor an accountability buddy a cheerleader um you know at so like the difference between like a book coach and shall we say like a, like a developmental editor so a developmental editor will read however many pages you send them, maybe the full thing, maybe only a partial manuscript. And they will write an edit letter, maybe one to four pages, giving their general feedback. Like, this is what I thought. Here are the strong points. Here's what I think you need to work on. Good luck. Um, And that's it. Whereas a book coach is hands-on. So I do that. I provide the edit letter. I give you what I think you need to work on, but then I come up with an action plan for you. I help you go through the revisions um and provide you with deadlines each time because like a lot of a lot of times especially with up-and-coming writers who don't have an agent or an editor yet it's forcing themselves to make the time Mm. right because you have all the time in the world nobody's waiting for it you know and i help you push through that and uh you know you're paying money so like if you want to skip that deadline, you are only hurting yourself. But I am here to read those pages, give you feedback, help you revise, and we move forward together. Um, so it's it's a much more hands-on way of, th- of coaching. So like um, so I can't, 
I've, I've done I've talked so much I can't remember what I said here but I think I mentioned earlier that I had a, a mentor through the mm-hmm. through, okay yeah so an organization called Pitch Wars so it, you're basically a mentor is, is is what I'm doing so because I enjoyed my experience so much while I was in, uh, doing that mentorship I became a mentor myself so I I did I was a mentee in 2017 and I've been mentoring since 2018 and because I, I just think it's really important to give back to the community. Um, but that being said, you know, I have limited time. I have a day job. I have my own deadlines. So book coaching allows me to help writers while still, you know, uh, helping me pay the bills. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, writing is amazing, but it does it's not quit your job money. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I need, if I'm taking time out from my work, I need to make sure that I'm getting compensated in some way because people need to like time is valuable. Yeah. Um, and people need to respect that boundary as well. So that's, that's why I took up book coaching. When are you opening a Bruja cafe books and more? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Like I, like that is like such like a pipe dream. Cause I have, no business sense but i want it so bad like i want it so bad we want it so bad for you too (laughs) in these pages i'm like salivating and i'm like when was the last time i really eaten good filipino food except (laughs) except for the food that my mom made and i'm just like i can't even think of it like you know there's some stuff Mm -hmm. around here we we live in orlando florida so you know, there's not a lot of Filipino food. There's a lot of Asian food, but not a lot mm-hmm. of our food. So, and then this is the sickness of the Filipinos. It's like you can never really satisfy yourself because it was not made by your family member, right? Yeah. And yet, and yet we demand our food somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> we can never be satisfied. So please, <laughs> when is this? When is this cafe opening up, Mia? Yeah. I mean, like, I am living vicariously through my character. So, like, I'm, like, again, like, I'm editing book two, and I'm just, like, man, what would I want in my dream cafe, right? Oh, so, like, God. in this one corner, I got my green witch with her plants and her herbs and her tea, and then Adina's the barista, and then I have, like, all these baked goods that I want, you know? And I'm just, oh, someday. <laughs> <laughs> Someone, like, I can't be the only one with this idea, right? And someone's got to open it up somewhere. Yeah. Hopefully they do. Hopefully they do. <laughs> Hopefully it's you. Because if you can make it, I'm gonna. We're gonna hop on over in a plane and and knock on your door. <laughs> I mean, if I ever get that money and I can find that person that's like, you know how business works, right? Money, accounting, like, like licenses here. and stuff. Here you go. You figure this out while I get to do the fun thing. Yeah, like yep. that's what I want. <laughs> So our our pod gets a lot of listens in the Philippines as well. So shout out to the motherland. Um, <laughs> we know that your your book is being released in um in the Philippines and it's fully mm-hmm. booked. That's the name mm-hmm. of the bookstore. And I want to tell you they're out of stock already. Really? Of your book? Yeah, I checked today and I'm like, <laughs> we, we need to get her book out elsewhere. Um, to all the bookstores in the Philippines. Hello, how are you? Um, this is Mia. Her book is cute and amazing. Um, when was when was the last time you have actually visited? And like, what memories do you have of the Philippines? So I mentioned earlier that I was I spent time in South Korea. So I visited a couple of times while I was teaching there because it's way closer than you know, than Chicago. Um, so I want to say I was there 
2012, 2013, and maybe 2014, like just like, you know, like one to two week visits, like once a year, just because I was so close to like my break time. So I want to say 2014 was the last time I was there because it was right before I came back home. Um, memory, I mean, man, it just sounds so cliche to say food. <laughs> no, it's not. Because that's, that's the theme of our, our podcast today. <laughs> I mean, like, the fresh seafood and the fresh fruit was just, like, so, so good. Like, so amazing. Would you always go to the same city every time you would visit? Yeah, so, it was because, like, because I went there to visit family, like, I didn't get to do, like, a ton of sites. So, like, I have friends, you know, that I taught in South Korea with who saw, like, more parts of the Philippines because they're like, oh, they did, like, the tourist thing. Like, oh, they went to Bordecai and they went to here and there. And I'm just like, well, I went to see my family. And, like, my family can't just drop everything <laughs> because I'm coming to visit. Right? They have lives and jobs and things. So, like, you know, they would, they did take me out to museums and this and that. But, at the, but it was basically like, hey, family that I haven't, really seen until I'm an adult um let's kind of just hang out um because like my um so like I would spend like half the time with my mom's side of the family and half the time with my dad's side of the family um and so like my paternal grand like I grew up with my maternal grandparents but my paternal grandparents used to live in New York so until I was like 10 I used to visit them every summer and then after that they retired and moved back to the Philippines so like it was me spending time with like my you know my dad's mom and that side of the family trying to catch up because it had been so long since I've seen her um so like that's you know that it sounds boring but like I just spent a lot of time hanging out in my family's home them feeding me a million times because like one of the things <laughs> that is wonderful and I kind of miss is like is merienda which yeah. is like snack time so like I would eat breakfast and then two later, like two hours later, they'd be like, oh, are you hungry? I'm like, no, we just had breakfast. Like, oh, okay, here you go. Here's merienda. I'm like, I'm okay. And then like two hours later, it's lunch. And then two hours later, they're like, oh, Mia, it's merienda. Here you go. I'm like, didn't we just eat? They're like, no, here. <laughs> and so like, I would eat like seven times a day. Yep. And, that's and I'm joke. just like, okay, yeah. When, when I would describe to people like how I grew up, they would be like, why are you so focused on food? And I'm like, because <laughs> I was raised this way. Like, I was raised to revolve my time around food. Because yeah. that, that that told time, that told when we can wake up, when we can go to sleep, when we can go out. It's, mm -hmm. That's our clock. And people would yeah. be like, why are you eating again? Or like, after breakfast, and I would like, hard, this hard habits. To break. <laughs> I'd be looking at the pantry, open up the refrigerator for like the tenth time, and I'm like, and my husband would be like, "What are you looking for?" Or like, even my mom would be like, "Um, we just ate." I'm like, "Mom, you know what I'm looking for." <laughs> and even my sisters, when we're all together, like I would notice it more. I'm like, "Damn, we're, like this, this is us. We have, yeah. we have been trained." <laughs> Yeah, and it sounds like such a, like a stereotypical joke, but like it like so because you know like we had house help in the Philippines, and they'd be like, "Oh, me? Are you hungry?" I'm like, "No, no, thanks. I'm full." And they're like, "Okay, I'll make you something." And I'm like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> and then they're just like, "Yeah, here you go." And I'm just like, "Well, it'd be rude to say no. They already made the snack, so yep. all right, let's do this." <laughs> and and my and when I when I visited, I'm just like, "Well, when would be the last time that I would eat this?" I mean, mm -hmm. When would it be like the next time that I would eat this? This might be the last. I'm just like, I think I gained like 20 pounds the last time I was there, which which was phenomenal. But you know, I paid for it when I came here. When I came back, so I'm just like, eh, nothing fits. 
Can you give us a little teaser or a sneak peek of your second novel, Homicide and Hollow Hollow? Yeah, sure. Um, so book two takes place a few months later. It's summertime, and the Miss Teen Shady Palms pageant is going on. Um, so this pageant is a huge part of the town, and it's also part of Lila's past. Um, and it brings up not only her rivalry with her cousin Bernadette, but also like memories of her deceased beauty queen mother and some of the unresolved issues that they kind of had. Um, and of course, you know, the head judge ends up dead. <laughs> and just, you know, she has to solve it because Bernadette becomes the main suspect. And um, so again, it's one of those things like where like it's, it's light and it's humorous, but I also kind of like weave in aspects of like grief, um, colonial beauty standards and things like that um because i mean if there's like if there's like if you think of the one thing that both like filipinos and small towns love it's beauty pageants like it's all purple like right there beauty pageants are the thing so i wanted to use that to kind of have like a really fun setting very like miss congeniality drop dead gorgeous but also kind of explore aspects of our culture that are maybe not so pretty yeah yeah I love this. Is there any talk of, like, your book being picked up? Has anyone asked, like, do you want it to be a television show, a movie? <laughs> I would love... So, when I first started, and people would ask me that, like, I, I always thought movie, because, like, in my head, you know, like, I know... Cause, like, I made that joke about Hallmark with Dead Bodies, but now there's actually, like, a Hallmark mystery channel, because cozies are... That's what they are. Um, and those are the ones I'm familiar with, but someone mentioned that like they thought it would be a really good tv show um because it's like my book is a little bit more character driven Mm -hmm. and i feel like it's like a bigger world so like you can kind of explore the characters a bit more while still having that central mystery so i would love (laughs) a tv show Um, i I want to see it i want to see it like because you know i'm a child of the 80s so i grew up with Murder She Wrote. So for me, yeah. this, is, this is this is it. Like I would watch it. We need it. I hope somebody out there, Hulu, Netflix, Shout ABC, out. CBS, because <laughs> this would this would be so dope. Because I'm just like I was just thinking like, oh my god, I would like see like see my life in the TV, and mm-hmm. it's gonna be like, oh, I know I know what that food is. I know that is. But yeah. then... it gets so sad. Like how is it? You know, the year of our Lord, 2021, and like. Now that Fresh Off the Boat is off TV, on broadcast, there's, like, zero Asian-led TV shows, right? Yeah. No no Asian families. It's just, like, how is that possible? You know, so I think something like that would be amazing. Like, it's, like, you know, for the representation, showing people that it's possible, showing people that we're out there, we're doing big things. It doesn't have to be a particular way, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, <laughs> I was actually thinking, I was just like, yeah, like... If like fresh off the boat met murder, she wrote. That's yeah. what that would this be, you know, because it's, it. it's like the family comedic drama, but with like dead bodies yes. in small towns. Yes, that's so, a pitch right yeah. there. <laughs> Give her the money. Give her the time. Give her the show. Um, somebody make this into a show, please. And Mia would be writing the the pilot episode. Um. <laughs> I mean, fingers crossed, right? Let's put like like let's manifest it. Let's put that yes. out there in that, the world. And that's hope. what that's what we're doing right now. Yes. <laughs> Top five Filipino dishes. Go. Ooh. Dang, you're gonna do me like that. All right, off the top of my head. So like my favorite is karekare. Oh my which god. Which might me be a too. hard <laughs> Okay. 
good. Yeah. Anyway. Which might be like a hard sell for some Western audiences, but like don't knock it till you try it. It is delicious. So karakare. I also really love sisig, which is another, I think, hard sell to the West, but it's like amazing drunk food. It is like the best. Um I also really love um Man, I love sweets. So it's just like, can I be like all the desserts? Hey, whatever um, you want. Whatever you want, Mia. It's your top five. <laughs> um, the soups are amazing. I really like um, like sinigang, which is like a, like a tangy, you know, like sour soup, especially if it's made with shrimp because I love seafood. So sinigang definitely has to be in there. Oh, man. Top, like, you're really making me choose five. Uh... So I said, okay, I said, gotta get a sisig, dessert, sinigang. <laughs> if I could only choose one more, I guess I could go with like a specific, it's like a dessert snack, ensimada is like my favorite. It's kind of like a brioche bun um, that's topped with like butter and sugar and sometimes cheese and like, mm, yeah. that's what's up. <laughs> that's that's merienda right there. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what you bring to school as your baton. Yeah. <laughs> It's like a million calories and has like zero nutritional value. And like, it's like as big as my head, the really good ones. And I don't care. Yep. But it's amazing. (laughs) Like butter, sugar, and cheese. Yeah. Prime, prime food right there. All the food groups right there that you need. (laughs) (laughs) So we want to just congratulate you on all the success that you're achieving right now. It makes me so proud to be a Filipina and seeing you in this global stage unbothered and thriving. <laughs> it's just the, the icing on the cake. Um, thank you for letting us know that it's okay to be proud of your heritage, that it's okay to write an English book with Tagalog in it and you don't have to italicize your language. Mm. Thank you for um, helping us to be seen as the loving, warm, accepting, smart, and hardworking people that we are. Um, going forward, what do you do you want your Filipino American audiences or readers to take away from your novel and how you know and how that you choose to be different and bold in writing what you you know what you just really want? Um, I mean, basically, so like I recognize, like I said, like there's no one Filipino American experience, right? Mm-hmm. So I wrote what was true to me. And, you know, if you pick up this book and you read it and and you're like, ah, this doesn't vibe with me. It's not what I know. I mean, that's fair, right? That's valid. Um, But also know that there are so many different ways to be Filipino and you are always Filipino enough, right? Mm -hmm. Because like, it's like, it's such a cliche where, where you ask yourself, am I enough X identity Mm -hmm. to be writing that experience? Right. I mean, like white people aren't just like, oh, you know, do I have enough experience to write what it's like to be, you know, a bored middle class white woman in the suburbs? You know, like it's like no one ever picks up a book by a white woman and is just like, oh, this is not my experience as a white woman. How dare you know, like, why should we be tasked with being the spokesperson for everybody? Right. Mm. Right. I am not the Filipino American voice. There are not enough Filipino American writers out there, but there are a ton who are doing big things. You know, maybe they're not getting the mainstream push that they deserve, right? It's not that we don't exist, it's that marketing. Yes. Right. The money is not behind us, but there's so much talent out there, right? So you are enough. Tell your story, right? Don't think you have to fit a particular narrative. Don't think you need to write to the white gaze. Write what you want to write. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in time, I think you'll find your audience. Now, before we let you go, there's a question that we always ask all of our guests when, when we come on. Because I know I already just asked your top five Filipino books. <laughs> but we always want to know, what are your top five favorite books of all time? And, you know, if you want, if you don't want to go that route, if it's too hard, you know, we had a writer on here who chose to change it up. And we always give people the option of telling us the top five books that you are excited about currently that you might be mm. reading that you know might be coming out or if you want to you know do do damage to yourself and, and give us your top five <laughs> of all time you can do that as well I think I'll do like a mix of like like my current favorites and also ones that I'm looking forward to so um current favorites the Lady Sherlock series by Sherry Thomas mm-hmm. so it's like a gender-bent take on Sherlock Holmes and so like it's, it's you know it follows that super twisty mystery but Sherry Thomas is also a romance writer. And so like the slow burn romance between Charlotte and like her best friend is just like chef's kiss. Like, <laughs> like I can't write that kind of steam and emotion cause I'm dead inside, but like, I love <laughs> reading it. And like that series is amazing. So the Lady Sherlock series by Sherry, uh, Sherry Thomas. Um, I've gotten really into rom- like Like I say, like diverse romance has saved my mental health uh during this time like starting in 2020 so anything by Alyssa Cole mm. um is, is highly recommended I like I'm almost almost done with her latest one I think like how to find a princess uh you know female female like Anastasia retelling like mm-hmm. oh, chef's kiss um Talia Hibbert is also you know doing it big like her her brown sisters trilogy mm-hmm. not a misstep all wonderful amazing inclusive I love them so much super hot and steamy again I couldn't do it I think I'm too much of like a prude to like even think about writing those words on my computer like it would like go up in flames if I tried to (laughs) write like that but like I aspire um what else so I said Sherry Thomas Alyssa Colvin uh oh coming out um there is a book called Dead Dead Girls by Nikessa Afia it comes out June 1st and it's set in 1920s Harlem and it follows uh, Lou Lloyd, who's like a 20-something young black woman. All she wants to do is dance, but uh, she has kind of a dark past. And after an altercation with the cops, she gets pulled into a serial killer case. There's a serial killer loose in Harlem who's killing young black girls like her. And the all-white police force um, think maybe she is there in because she knows that world and can move around in a way that they can't. Mm. So she's basically blackmailed into helping, like, help us catch this killer or you're going to jail. So, mm. you, You've um, already so read out. this one? You've yeah, already- I got to read an early copy. Um, her the, the launch party is on June 1st, and I'm going to be in conversation with that author. So I can definitely recommend that. And then one more, one more. Ooh. That is tough. I mean, I guess... If we're thinking current and we're talking like Filipino mystery, um, Patron Saints of Nothing mm. by Randy Ribai. Uh, I read that last year. Was it last year? I mean, time means nothing now. <laughs> and it like destroyed me. I was just, <laughs> I, there was a part where I was like ugly crying and I'm like, oh no, my book. Cause like my tears are falling <laughs> out of the pages and I had to like, ah. like now, you know, like speaking of representation, you know, you just look at that cover and you're like, damn, like yeah. that's Filipino. And like the, the the issues it dealt with, I was just like, 
this is amazing. You know, it, it's written for a white, like a younger teen audience, but it doesn't talk down in any way. It, it, it's super emotional. The family stuff is there and it hits hard. Um, so if we're talking again, recent favorites, because I cheat and I can't, I can't choose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so within the last two years, those are the ones that I've I've been occupying my time with. Those are the writers. Well, thank you so much yeah. for for giving those 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 picks. We'll be definitely diving more into those. Yes. So this is the time where we bid you adieu. We thank you so much for coming on to our our show. Um, this evening and uh, we can't wait for everyone in our book club to read your beautiful beautiful (laughs) beautiful book and um, we cannot wait to get a chance to sit down and try our hands at the recipes in the back of this book (laughs) we'll see how they turn out if anything comes out great then we'll maybe we'll post it and tag it (laughs) i want to do the ginger one with the salabat oh yeah i mean again like that's for ginger lovers so like you know you know kind of figure out how much you want to put in there with the candy ginger because some people were like all about it and some people were like you know i'm like oh okay yes (laughs) at moderation yeah (laughs) to your own risk well mia thank you so much this has been really this has been really great um you know i when we did when we started this podcast we we didn't think that you know we would have this like vast of writers like that were wanting to talk to us, but I think it's really, really nice to see somebody doing the most that, is, <laughs> that looks like me, that has experiences like me, and that is, you know, that is a Filipino. So thank you. Continue to thrive and fly by, <laughs> Mia. We'll be watching you. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, God, you're gonna make me cry. Thank you for having me. It was so much fun talking with y'all. You can cry anytime here. You're, you're not. Dead <laughs> You are not dead inside. All right, girl. You take care. All right. Take care. Good night. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our show. Follow us on Instagram at Vulgar Geniuses Book Club. Our theme song was produced by Sean Kantrowitz. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Sean Dammit. That's spelled S-E-A-N-D-A-M-M-I-T. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. See you next time. Deuces.